today we want to look at around the wisdom that Scripture has on families. You know, families are an odd thing. People say that it's a bit like fudge, right? They're mostly sweet, but they have a few nuts in them. And we can probably say that's true about our families too, right? Like, they're mostly sweet, but there's a few nuts hanging around. In fact, I know of this one little girl who went to her mommy and asked her mom, Mom, where do human beings come from? And the mother was like, well, God created these two people in a garden, Adam and Eve, and then they had children, and their children had children, and their children had children, and eventually we've all come. We all come from them. So the girl was like, wow, that's interesting. She wanted to go fact check, so she went to her dad. So, Dad, where do human beings come from? And the dad was like, well, millions and millions of years ago, there were these tiny organisms in the solar system, and they eventually evolved to monkeys, and then eventually the monkeys evolved into humans. This girl was so confused now. So she went back to her mom and said, Mom, you said that we came from Adam and Eve, and then Dad says, we came from monkeys, so which is it? And the mother said, oh, no, my dear. I was telling you about my side of the family. Your dad was telling you about his side of the family, right? <laughs> and isn't it often like just how it feels in family? Like we're not even on the same page, like on the most basic things. And yet, Scripture is going to tell us in the book of Proverbs which is so full of wisdom for families, of how powerful it is where there's unity in our wisdom. In fact, this is what it says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 24, verse 3. By wisdom, everyone say wisdom. By wisdom a house is built. By understanding, say understanding. By understanding it's established. And by knowledge, everyone say knowledge. By knowledge, your rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant Riches, which we know are far more than physical riches. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Scripture tells us that if we can fill our homes, if we can build our homes on godly wisdom and knowledge and understanding, our families will be better for it, that they'll be blessed. And so even as we come and look at what Scripture has to say about family today, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to come with a very submissive attitude, that if there's anything you see in your family that you're not currently doing, that as you come to Scripture that you would submit yourself because we have to have this understanding that God truly knows how to do family well because He created this thing called family. And so when you see there's things that you need to adapt or change, be willing to adapt or change because here's the truth. You can't choose your family. I know many of you have wished you could. You can't. Some of you, even the people in your family, you did choose, like your spouse. Now you're wondering why you chose them, right? How, why did I do that? Like, right? The reality is you can't choose a family you have right now, but you can choose to adjust your family. You might not be able to choose your family, but you can choose to adjust your family. Look at someone and say, adjust your family. In other words, there are godly principles there's godly wisdom and knowledge and understanding that we can bring into our homes. And so today we want to sit and look at what the book of Proverbs does tell us about these families. And I love that we can do this. We did this a few months ago when we were studying the book of Colossians, which also spoke about family. And I love these moments where we can come and look at what Scripture says because family is important. It's a fabric of our society. And we can see, church, that family has been under attack. Godly biblical family has been under attack 
And because of that, society has fallen apart. Because families have fallen apart. And so we, as a church, we believe in family. It's one of our values. That's why we invest so much in our next generation ministries. Because we are passionate about your children knowing and loving Jesus. Family is important. But family is also difficult. Not an easy thing to go to get right. In fact, uh, a guy called George Shaw, he said this. If other planets are inhabited, they must be using Earth as their insane asylum. Right? <clears throat> Maybe you think he's referencing some of your family members. Like, yeah, that sounds like my family. Because this is the truth. This is a reality. Is that every single family is dysfunctional at some level. Every family. We need to almost get... Get rid of this notion of a perfect family because it doesn't exist. You know why? Because families are made up of people and there are no perfect people. There are no perfect people. Every single person is subject to sin and a sinful nature. And so we bring that into our families. Every family has a sense of dysfunction. I love that scripture is not shy to show off the dysfunction of families. It tells those stories. I'm busy currently reading once again through Genesis and I'm just... Amazed once again at how dysfunctional these families are that God uses. But part of the gospel story is this, that even though our families are dysfunctional, it doesn't mean God can't function. And I want to say this because I hear a lot of people talking about their families and saying, but I come from a dysfunctional family. And they use that as an excuse for why not to live godly, for why not to do certain things. Well, that's a family I grew up in. Well, if you grew up in a dysfunctional family, welcome to humankind. Every family has levels of dysfunction. It's part of human nature. And so here we're not trying to achieve some level of perfection, but we do want to achieve a level of godliness. Can we get that wisdom into our homes? Can we get that knowledge into our homes? Can we get God's insight and understanding into our homes so that our, our homes will be richer for it? And so even though... You didn't choose your family. Maybe you can adjust it today. In fact, we're going to be looking at the different roles that are within the household. And we're going to start with all the husbands in the room. All the husbands. If you're a husband here, can you put your hand here by your, your shoulder? Just do this for me if you're a husband. Okay. And strap in, buckle in. Okay. Are you ready? You, buck, you buckled in now. Let's see what Scripture has to say for all you husbands. Here it starts in Proverbs 5 from verse 18. May your fountain be blessed, men. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe. A graceful deer. Now, back in the day, those were words of love. I wouldn't encourage you to use those still on your wife. If you call her a buck, she might just slap you. And then you'll be like, oh dear. Right? Okay, <clears throat> that was my dad joke for the day. Okay, a loving doe. These are words of affection and romance and affirmation. A graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Husbands, what is your command from Proverbs? It's this. Husbands, enjoy your wives. Enjoy your wives. In fact, those words... Rejoice in her and be satisfied by her. Both those words in the original language talks about being intoxicated. 
In other words, the Bible saying, when it comes to your wife, just be drunk in love. Turns out Beyonce had something right. Like, just be drunk in love, man. Be drunk in love, right? Just intoxicated. Now, husbands, I think part of the problem is maybe you come to a place in your marriage where you're not satisfied. You're not drunk in love with your wife anymore. The Bible says get back to that. Maybe you can remember a time and you think, you're like, look at your wife and you're like, why did I choose her? But I want to tell you, there must have been a time where you love being with her. There must have been a time where you enjoyed her presence, where you pursued her, because otherwise, why on earth did you marry her? Go back to that time. It says, be satisfied with the wife of your youth. Remember that time where she intoxicated you and be satisfied only with her breasts, not the breasts of some stranger or someone on the other side of a computer screen or someone that you know down the road. No. One lady, one woman, she should be the only woman in your life that brings you a sense of satisfaction. And there is a warning here. If you're not satisfied with your wife, if you don't put the work in, you put the work in to be satisfied, intoxicated with her. If you don't enjoy your wife, here's the warning. It says before and after in Proverbs 15. Let's read from verse 15. Proverbs 5.15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets... And your streams of water in the public squares. Yes, it is saying what you think it's saying. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. In verse 20. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord. Church, remember, like we said last week, True wisdom is going to come with a reverent fear of the Lord, realizing He's watching you. He's seeing what you do. Your ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all your paths. And the evil deeds of the wicked ensnare. Everyone say, ensnare. Look at someone and say, it's a trap. Ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die. Led astray by their own great folly. Here's a warning to your husbands. If you do not enjoy your wife, be careful that you don't fall into committing adultery. Husbands don't commit adultery. And it is up to you. It is up to you to find satisfaction in your wife to be intoxicated with her, to be satisfied with her alone and not allow yourself to be satisfied with other things. Men, I wanted to say this. I wish the statistics were different between Christian households and non-Christian households, but it pretty much is the same, unfortunately. The church is very much in this way, living like the world, that statistically one out of every four men will have an affair. Now, to put that in perspective, just think of in a room like this, faithful, 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 affair. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Sorry, ma'am, affair. <laughs> Faithful. Do you realize how many households that is? Do you realize how many people that is? How many people are experiencing that heartbreak? And that it's torture. How many homes are going through this? And why does it happen? Because I have, I have married hundreds of couples. If you follow me on Facebook, you'll know it's true. I love doing weddings. And I have done premarital counseling with hundreds of couples. Here's what's never happened, though, guys. 
I've never had a couple sitting in front of me and I'm talking about their dreams and their plans and their aspirations. I've never had the husband say to me, you know what I'm really hoping will happen in five years? I'm really hoping I get to have an affair. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that I get to cheat on her a few times. Ne- never happened. And yet, for one in four, at the very least, it happens. So how's it happen? Why is it happening to so many godly men? Well, here's what I think happens too often. For a lot of men, the boundary is here at adultery. And in their minds and their hearts, they say, I do not want to commit adultery. But what they forget is that there is a road to this boundary. And very often they are all too comfortable and okay to walk on this road. Not realizing that it's heading them right down the path to adultery. For example, men, husbands, there are too many husbands that have deep and close friendships with other women. I want to tell you, you are on the path. Husbands, you have lost that right. You may now only be satisfied with one woman. And as a husband, we have lost the right to have deep, meaningful friendships with members of the opposite sex. The only one we get to have a deep, meaningful friendship with is our wives. Only she may satisfy you. Only she may enrich you. You may only find enjoyment in her and her alone. For some of you, the work today is to start backing out of these relationships, these friendships that you have got way too close and way too familiar. There is no such thing as a husband having another best friend of the opposite sex. Guys, you're on the road. Get off the road. Get off the road. Those of you who have done ministry with me or life with me, you'll know I keep women like this. Right? I'll be friendly and courteous and we'll have some level of friendship, but I'll have no deep friendship with any other woman but my wife. Even when people want to lift home with me, if I have to take a woman home alone, I'll phone my wife in the car and I'll say, hey, babes, just letting you know, this is who I'm taking home. This is where they live. I'll be eight minutes. Okay, cheers. Right? Why? I want to protect myself. I don't want to walk on that road. Those of you who have done counseling with me, I'll see a woman for counseling once, maybe, and then it will be in a public place or in the office with glass doors. Why? Well, I grew up in a home where adultery was rife. I have tasted its poison. It is not worth it. It is a trap. And it is up to us men to say, am I walking on the road? What is my boundary? Is my boundary only adultery? No, get off the road. There's a road to that. Protect yourselves, men. For some of you, you have way too many inappropriate female friendships. You need to end those friendships. Back out. It is not okay. And it's not acceptable as a godly man. Another road towards adultery is pornography. Men, scripture says, there is only one set of breasts that can satisfy you. And if you don't even kid yourself for a moment, if you are watching that and engaging in that and being satisfied in that and seeking pleasure in that, you are training your brain for adultery. You are training your mind for adultery. It is not acceptable as godly men. And for some of you men, you've even brought this into your marriage bed. You've even forced your wife to make this part of your sexual relationship. There is only one woman, only one woman body that may satisfy you, and it's her. And anything other than that, you are heading to this boundary. You will commit adultery and then don't look back and say, how did that happen? You're on the road. Get off the road. 
Now, perhaps some of you are struggling with addiction to pornography, which is strife. Get help. We're here to help you. We're here to walk that road with you. There's, there's a whole godly men ministry, and there's people supporting each other out of this stuff because we've got to get off the road. Men, enjoy your wife and your wife alone. Only her. Only she can satisfy. Okay, men, you can do this now. Click. You're released. Okay, the ride's off. We're done with you. Ladies, if you married here, can all the wives do this for me? Okay, let's go. Strap in. Click in. Okay, it's your turn. I love this relationship, this dynamic between husband and wife. You know, there's this, I heard the story of this old married couple. They'd been married 50 years. Anyone in this room been married 50 years? Let's just see. We've had some people today. Yes, let's, let's celebrate that. Very cool. So there's this old married couple. They're sitting around the fire. She's not so good of hearing anymore. He looks at her lovingly and says, Oh, babes, after 50 years, you know what? I have found you tried and true. She looks at him and goes, Huh? He goes, After 50 years, I have found you tried and true. And she looks at him and goes, Well, after 50 years, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> Oh, man, that's so clearly often what happens in the relationship between men and women, like complete miscommunication, right? So wives, how do we get on the same page? Because your role is so vital. It tells us this in Proverbs 12 from verse 4. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. I want to tell you, if you've been married for any length of time, perhaps you've seen both of those at play. When your marriage is good, when you and your wife are good, I want to tell you, ladies, men feel like a million bucks. They wear that like a crown. It makes you feel like royalty. It empowers you in life. It gives you authority. When your marriage is good, man, everything feels good. But when your marriage is bad, woman, don't be deceived. I know men aren't like super emotional. They don't always like cry all the time, but it wrecks them. The Bible describes it like being alive, but your bones are decaying. And that is exactly what it feels like. When your marriage is bad, when your relationship is bad for a man, it's hard just to function. It's hard to function in the world. It's hard to just switch it off and like be okay in business. It wrecks a man when his marriage is bad. The Bible literally says, it feels like, you're, like your bones are decaying. And some of you, you know, because you're sitting here and it feels like your bones are decaying because there's so much tension and strife at home and in your relationship with your wife. Ladies, realize this is how much power you have. You get to make your man feel like a million bucks, like king of the castle wearing a crown, or, or you get to decay his bones. You get to put him in a different level of pain like no one else and nothing else can. In fact, when we look at the role of the wife, we see this in Proverbs 31, verse 10 to 12. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good. Look at someone and say, she brings him good. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. This is a lifelong commitment. Ladies, you want to know what your role is in the marriage according to Proverbs? Every day of your life, 
Bring him good and not harm. Bring him good. This word good in the Hebrew language is this word tob. And tob means this, to bring an air of agreement. To be agreeable. You know that women can, if they're not careful, end up being disagreeable about almost anything. To bring in good means I'm not going to criticize everything. I'm not going to undermine every decision. I'm not going to make a, a mountain out of every molehill. I'm going to pick my battles. I want there to be an agreeable sense in my home, an agreeable environment in my home. I, I want us to be agreeable. Second thing it means to bring pleasure to the senses. You want to bring your husband good? Bring pleasure to his senses. Don't use sexual intimacy in your marriage as a bargaining chip or a punishment. This should be part of your, what you do is I have the privilege of bringing pleasure to my marriage through sexual intimacy. This should be a part of your marriage that is celebrated and valued and encouraged. It should be a fun part of your marriage, right? I'm going to bring him goodness. I'm going to it talks about bringing gladness to the home, bringing happiness in the home, being intentionally understanding. Ladies, this is part of your role. I want to come home and I want to, I want to almost acknowledge the power I have over the environment. Ladies, you have so much power over the atmosphere of your home, over the environment of your home. And the encouragement of Scripture is bring goodness home. Make it a, a good place. Make it a place he wants to be because if you don't, there's also a warning for you. Just like with men, if they do not enjoy their wives, there's a warning against adultery. Ladies, if you do not bring goodness home, there's a warning for you. And I'm going to read this. And don't be mad at me, right? This is the Bible. Proverbs 21 verse 9. It's better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Ladies, you have so much control of the environment and I wish I was in the room when Solomon was writing this because this chapter is so fascinating to me. So he starts out with this. Like you can imagine him sitting at the desk, fighting with his wife, and a proverb comes to mind. It is better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. I don't know what happened in that room that day, but she must have continued to drive him nuts because just 10 verses later, he writes in Proverbs 21, 19. He says, better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome and a nagging wife. Okay, ladies, what's your trap? Your trap is that you can become critical and nagging and not realize the impact it has on your husband. It will literally make him run away and he'll run to whatever he can. He'll run to the desert if need be. If you want your husband to run away, he will run to work. He will volunteer for extra hours. He will pick up the hobby that takes all day, three days. He will go and find a big house project and be busy in the garage every weekend with the loudest power tools and he doesn't care that his ears are bleeding from the noise because he can't hear you nagging. If you want your husband to run away, nag, quarrel, criticize, and make the environment of your home, instead of bringing goodness, bring nag. And unfortunately, it is your trap 
Now, are there issues? Yes. Are there problems that need to be fixed? Yes. Are there things that need to be done? Yes. But don't be so naive about your power to create an environment in the home. Your first priority is to bring goodness, not to fix every flaw he has. Your first priority is to bring, to create an environment where instead of running to the desert, he wants to run home. Where instead of being there, he wants to be here because you've created an environment that he loves so much. So ladies, bring goodness and be careful of becoming nagging and critical. Now, I want to say one more thing to the men. I know you undid your buckle, but just one more thing quickly. Some of you husbands, I know some of you have never memorized a Bible verse in your life. And you're reading this now, and you're considering, you're already trying to commit that to memory, right? Do not nag. Like, right, Let me just say, this is a terrible verse to bring up in an argument. It is a trap. Do not do it, because if you do, they'll be phoning me to do your funeral, right? And I'll know, do not quote this when she's nagging and when she's quarrelsome. No, not good. There's other Bible verses you can quote. Don't quote this one, right? Husbands, enjoy your wives. And wives, bring goodness home. Be good to him all the days of your life. And when you do, when husbands are being intoxicated by their wives and satisfied by only, she's the only woman bringing me satisfaction. When wives are bringing goodness home and they're creating these environments where it's not full of criticism and arguing, often out of that loving union, children are born. And so the Bible here in Proverbs then gives great advice on parenting. In fact, some of the most famous parenting verses in all of Scripture come out of the same book of Proverbs. For example, in Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents, this is a promise that you can hold on to, and a promise you can keep, that if you train your child when they are older, they will not depart from it. And it's a good reminder that it was not the church instructed to train your child although we want to do it and we want to help you, that instruction does not lie with us. It is not the school or your grandparents that have been instructed to train your child. You as parent, if you're a parent in the room, you have been instructed by Scripture to train your child in what? In maths? No, to train them in the way. Train up your child in the way they should go. You train them in the values they should have, in the character they should have, in the spirituality they should have, in the way they should treat people. That training is up to you. You cannot give that to someone else. It is fully up to you to train. And if you do what you're doing, that entire time of training is you're planting seeds in their life. Now, these are seeds I want to encourage you to water. You know, you water those, the, the seeds of the word with prayer. Pray over them. And then the promises, when they're older, they won't depart from it. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that when they're younger, they won't depart from it. And we see this happening with many people. Many people living from Christian households who, who, who want to figure the thing out for themselves. Even like the son in the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal, the prodigal son who had a good father. He wanted to go figure things out for himself. But when they go, when they go off the path and they're trying to figure things out and they find that, wow, there is no satisfaction 
in this lifestyle. There's no satisfaction in, in this alcohol. There's no satisfaction in this greed and this materialism. Guess what tape will be playing in their mind? The words you have said in your training, in your time together, in your conversations, in your time with the word, it will be you that plays in their mind and it will bring them home. It will not be the words of their pastor or their Sunday school teacher. It will be your words because it's your responsibility to train. And so you pray over those seeds that at the right time, those seeds of the word would find root, find good soil in their hearts, would germinate and produce good fruit. Now, as a family, in my family, we've just decided to wake up just a little bit earlier every morning when we're getting ready for school. I want to remind you, I've got seven kids and we're busy being a place of safety for an eighth, a baby. And yet every morning we find the time to wake up and after we're ready to spend time in the Bible, to read a Bible story, to pray together as a family. And I've just got to say, guys, if we can do it with eight kids, you can do it. This isn't actually an issue of time. More often, it's an issue of priority. If you really wanted to do it, you would find the time to do it. And so I've got to encourage you parents, maybe that's your next step. Find the time and train your child. If it's not early in the morning, then do it at lunchtime or do it at night. But you've got to do it. Do not give that responsibility over to anyone else. Now, part of this training, training them in the Word, having spiritual conversations, praying together with them, part of that training is going to involve discipline. Not only should you train your child, but you've got to discipline them. The Bible actually tells us this in several places in Proverbs. It says, for example, in Proverbs 13, 24, that whoever spares the rod actually hates. Now, we've got to stop there because when the Bible uses a word like hate, it's a big deal. When the God of love uses a word like hate, it's a big deal. It will it equates a lack of discipline to hate. It says whoever spares a rod actually hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful. Everyone say careful. Is careful to discipline them. This word rod speaks about a small stick that would be used to uh, use on a child to inflict a small amount of pain when the child was in error. The small stick was never meant to leave a bruise or a scar or make a child bleed or cut. It was never abusive. You had to be careful in using it. And the Bible says when it comes to us as parents, we must take discipline seriously because a lack of discipline means a lack of love. Discipline equals love. Now why? Why, why should we inject pain into our kid's life? Well, here's the reality is sin, sin will always lead you to pain. And your children must learn while they're in your house that sin has consequence. And if they don't, if they don't learn that in your home, I promise, I promise you they will find a lot more pain out in the world when they live lives of greed, when they live lives of lying or deceit or theft because they haven't learned from you that sin equals pain. They've got to learn that growing up, that sin equals pain so that they avoid sin growing up, so that they avoid sin when they're on their own because they've learned those values from you. It is up to you to teach it to them. Sin will lead you to pain in life. 
And so we must find ways to discipline our children carefully. And carefully really is a key word. I know in our house, we've made this commitment as parents. We're not going to discipline out of anger. Now, often they make me angry. So what I do, I send them to the bathroom. We have an allocated space so that it's going to be self-controlled. The only place I'm going to give any kind of hiding is going to be in the bathroom. And then I'll wait until I can do it without anger. Sometimes I'm waiting a long time, right? They're in there like half an hour later, like, is dad ever coming, right? They're not going to call me, of course, because they know what's coming. They're just sitting there quietly in the bathroom. When I feel like I can do it not out of a place of anger, but out of love, I'll go in there. I've got a stick, a little wooden spoon, and I will only hit one time, right? In a controlled environment, one time, then I sit down with them and sit them with them through their pain and their tears. And then I talk about, hey, why did that happen? Why did that need to happen? Why shouldn't you do that? And I remind them, nothing's changed with us. My love for you is still good. I'm still for you. In fact, that's why this has happened. I've got to teach these lessons to you so that you don't live this when you leave the house one day. What I'm not doing is the moment they upset me. (laughs) Right? You know it. That is not... And don't say, well, I mustn't spare the rod. No, that's not what the rod is. It's not the rod. We got to do this carefully. And we mustn't, we mustn't abuse our children. And some of you, you're very sensitive on this because you felt like growing up you were abused. Don't do that. Don't abuse your kids. But also don't spare the rod. It's unloving. The Bible says again here in Proverbs 29, 15, that the rod and reproof Give wisdom. If you want your kids to be foolish, just don't discipline them. Easy. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. In fact, we know that uh, loving discipline benefits children. They often crave some kind of structure and discipline in their lives. And if you don't do it, your children will make poor decisions. And I promise you the pain that they will go through because of the lack of discipline is far greater than hiding. And so it's up to us as parents to figure out how do we adjust? What does a rod become as our children become older? Then no longer do we use a rod. We've got to find other methods. And I just, you've got to find other things that will produce pain because at some, at some point, the rod doesn't produce pain. They can't learn that lesson. I remember once my mom giving me a hiding and I was just trying to not laugh and I couldn't help it. And she's like, why are you laughing? She kept on saying, now I'm laughing more because it just doesn't hurt anymore, right? And so as a parent, like I've got seven kids, we don't discipline them all the same because I know for each one what causes pain. I know the thing they hate the most. I know the, the one that dies if they have to sit in the room for or go to a timeout. I know the one that absolutely dies if I take away their cell phone. I know the one that dies if I take away Xbox time or I reduce. So you just, hey. This happened in your life, I've got to teach you a lesson, and I'm inflicting a small amount of pain now to stop you from experiencing a great amount of pain later on in your life. It is a loving thing to do, and guys, even God does it with us, because He loves us. Tells us in Hebrews 12 verse 6, that the Lord disciplines the ones He loves, and He chastens everyone that He accepts as a son. (laughs) Some of us know what it's like to get a hiding from God. 
Why does he do it? Because he loves us. And it actually says, if he didn't do this, it would be a sign he didn't love us. Train your children in the way and use discipline to do it. And while you're doing it, acknowledge that there are different roles for mother and father. Contrary to what the world is trying to tell us, there's no gender, there's no roles. There is gender and there is roles. The Bible is very clear on these roles. It tells us this, for example, in Proverbs 1 verse 8 to 9. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Everyone say instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. Everyone say teaching. You've got to realize that as you are raising these children, fathers are going to have a much greater role in instructing and mothers are going to have a much greater role in teaching. And guys, even if you've never read this verse, you can probably see this is played out in your own home. For example, how often do men say, do this, go to your room. Why must I go to your room? Because I said so, now go. I don't need to explain myself. Why? Because I'm not the teacher, I'm the instructor. Sometimes in those moments, the wife wants to explain why dad wants you to do this. And very often, men can feel undermined. Don't explain. He doesn't need a reason. No, no, no. That's her role. Don't step on her toes. She is the teacher. And her now explaining why dad is making that decision and acting in that way is not her undermining you. It's called teamwork. I'm going to give instructions. My wife's going to teach. This is why we need to do this. This is why you need to understand this. She's going to go sit in the room and hug them while they cry after the fight. Why? Because she's a teacher. And that's good. We need that role in the home. But we also need instruction in the home. And ladies, you'll know this because sometimes you're trying to step into the instruction role and it just doesn't fit. Because you'll say to your kids the same thing your husband says and your child just goes on like they didn't hear a thing. And then dad says, hey, what are you doing? Yes, dad. Yes, dad. Okay, why? Well, because this is God's gift to you. Don't stifle either gift, please. Allow the husband to instruct, and wives, don't force him to explain his decision to the kids. He's not the teacher. Don't force him into your role. And husbands, allow your wives to explain your actions and interpret your discipline to your children. That's her role. Work as a team. And if you do this, if you own your role, both roles have great spiritual significance. We're told this in Proverbs 20 verse 7. That the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Fathers, if you walk in integrity, your children are the ones who end up blessed. In fact, what we know statistically is this. That your children have a much higher chance of following Jesus one day if you as a father follow Jesus. There's a social study done in uh, Switzerland in the year 2000, which tried to study the relationship between religion and parents. And here's what it found. If the father and mother attend church regularly, 33% of the children would end up also attending church regularly. 41% of the children would attend church, but irregularly. And only one quarter of the children would choose another faith or to not believe in anything. But if the mother continued to go regularly and the father pulled out, that percentage went down to only 2% of the children. Down from 33 to 2%. Only 2% of the kids would now become regular worshipers themselves. 
And 37 would become irregular worshippers, which means over 60% of the children would not choose any faith simply because they didn't see it in dad. And it brings me back to the proverb, what it just said. When a man walks in spiritual integrity, the children are blessed. Men, walk in integrity. Model. Your children don't know your brain. They don't know what's happening on the inside. You might have all the good intentions, but more is going to be caught than taught. So you teach them church attendance. You teach them, make sure they're catching you pray. Make sure they're seeing you read the Bible. Make sure they're seeing you engage in spiritual conversation. They've got to see it in you because if they just get to see it in you, you increase their chance by thousands of percent that they themselves will choose Jesus one day. But just by not seeing it in you, you're decreasing their chance of them themselves choosing Jesus. Fathers, Walk in integrity. Mothers do the same. Listen to this in Proverbs 14, verse 1. It says, A wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands a foolish one tears hers down. Women, I want you to know, when you walk in integrity, when you walk according to Scripture, it is so home-building. It builds your house, your husband benefits, your kids benefit. But when you are living foolishly, when you are stepping out of the Word of God, when you are refusing to submit to God, it will tear down that entire house. We've said several times today, even Nicole was saying in a welcome today, like women are like the glue that hold the home together. You've got to realize there is a lot of truth in that. And if you are not bringing your part, if you're not walking in spirituality, it will tear your own house down. In fact, what Scripture tells us about a wise woman in Proverbs 31, 28, says that her children will rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her and says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. I want you to know, ladies, that your love and your loyalty and your sacrifice and your servanthood it does not go unnoticed. And your children are blessed because of you. Your husband is blessed because of you. When you walk in integrity, when you walk according to God's will. And so can we, can we as Christian families fill our homes with godly wisdom and knowledge and understanding? Husbands, go back to the wife of your youth and be satisfied with her alone. Wives, bring goodness home. Create an environment that's free of criticism and nagging and quarreling. Create an environment where your family wants to be there. That You, help, you hold the power for that. Parents, train up your children. Don't give that responsibility away. You train them in the way. Make time every day to train them in the way. Use discipline. A lack of discipline means a lack of love. Fathers, give instruction. Mothers, give teaching. And both of you, walk in integrity because your home will be better for it. Let me pray with you. I want to ask if you are here with a family member, can you just uh, take them by the hand now? It's on a prayer over families. God, I thank you for every family represented in this room. You know them all, Lord, by name. God, you know all the husbands, 
who have no longer found enjoyment in their wives. God, would you restore that sense of fulfillment? God, would you restore that love that they once had? Father, would they walk off the road to every inappropriate friendship that needs to end? I pray it. I pray it dead in Jesus' name. For every person bound by pornography, intoxicating himself with lust, I speak against it in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that your church would be a pure church, free of adultery and betrayal and divorce. God, I pray for every wife, maybe the wives who are struggling to bring goodness home, who are so hurt and feel so betrayed that they cannot help but fill the atmosphere with quarreling and nagging. God, I pray for healing over their hearts in Jesus' name. God, help them provide a, create an environment of goodness and where love and peace can thrush, Lord. God, I pray for the parents in this room. Oh, we need so much wisdom, Lord. God, on days where we're tired, when we ourselves are not coping, God, may we never give away the responsibility to train. Father, I pray that we would discipline consistently. Holy Spirit, thank you that we're not alone. Even in our parenting, we're not alone. Would you help us? Would you correct us? Would you empower us to parent well? To know when to be harsh and when to be merciful. To know when to give instruction and when to give teaching. God, we submit our families to you. I just pray a blessing, Lord. Would you bless households for every marriage that's struggling, Lord? For every household that's falling apart. For those that only practice spirituality on a Sunday for 75 minutes, but nothing at home. I pray, Lord God, that there would be a change, that we would come in line to your word and that our families would be stronger and better for it. And I pray this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.